Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are our hope. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. We do not trust in the things of this world, but we wholly trust in your name. Jesus, you are our cornerstone. You make us strong when we're weak, and in the storms of life, you are Lord, Lord of all. Lord, this morning, may we be attentive to the, what you want to say to each one of us. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, unfortunately, church, I am opening with some really sad news this morning. Uh, Kathy Mason's mum, Helen Vanderkirk, passed away on Thursday afternoon. Kathy's words to us as she shared this message with us on Thursday, she said that Helen left us peacefully to be with the Lord and she is now in a mansion of many rooms. What a beautiful picture. More details about Helen's funeral uh, is available via the church office. But please uphold Kathy and the broader family and friends as they grieve uh, their beautiful mother, our wife and friend. Today we continue to look at our series in 1 Peter and what it is being the people of God. In early March, I flew to Johannesburg at the very early stages of COVID-19. To say that I was uncertain is actually probably an understatement. A fortnight earlier, I had stocked up uh, with my, in my pantry with about two weeks worth of pasta, pasta sauce, flour, sugar. I did miss toilet paper, which could have been a little bit of a problem later on. And it was much to my family's amusement, can I tell you. I was supposed to be in Johannesburg for two weeks, but every day I was getting news of further restrictions and further lockdowns and ended up catching an emergency flight home. That coincided with the 14-day isolation period that had just begun uh, enforced by the government. I found myself having to isolate from family, from friends, from work, all I wanted was to be close to family and friends, but I was restricted for their own safety and for their well-being. I, I longed for human connection. I longed for a hug. During isolation, the government also made the call to be able to, to close down all public gatherings, which included church. I'm pretty much an every weekend ender at uh, church and I love my real food Sunday night family. I love corporate worship. I love community. I love the word. And now I was separated as well from my faith community. You know, honestly, it was actually a really difficult time. I did not do well during that season. I yearned for connection. I yearned for community. I yearned to be with others, but I couldn't. What about you? One of the unique things around this season is that we are all in this together. But one of the difficult things around in this season is that we are all in this together. We don't have the same support networks, the same uh, structures and, and support that we might normally have. Maybe you, maybe you felt isolated 
Or maybe you've actually had to isolate. Maybe you've yearned for a hug with your mum or your daughter. Maybe you've yearned to hold your brand new grandchild. Maybe you've felt distant or disconnected from God or from people. Maybe you've longed to see anyone that is not on a tiny Zoom screen. Maybe you've longed to go outside of your home without worrying about what you touch and what you might catch. Maybe you've lost your job and your income and you feel lost and alone. Maybe you're working so flat out that you find yourself even busier and you barely have time to sleep, let alone exercise or have time with family or friends. Or maybe you've yearned to be able to sing and worship with a hundred others in corporate worship. This feeling of being isolated and disconnected is not the way that we were created to be. We were created to belong and we were created to connect. Even though we've been apart, and we might honestly be for a little bit longer, we are actually still a part of something that is much bigger than us. And I love the way that Peter speaks about this. Our passage today is the turning point in Peter's letter. This message is part three in our series on Peter belonging or being the people of God. Peter begins this letter by assuring us of our hope and the confidence that we have in the second coming of Jesus. But this section in Peter's letter, we find ourselves in the turning point of Jesus' letter. In Peter's letter, <laughs> Peter moves from the individual dimensions of spiritual walk and spiritual growth to the corporate dimensions of our spiritual walk and growth. He writes about growth, but he writes about our growth together. So let's have a look at this passage. But let's go back just for a moment, because the first time that Peter meets Jesus, Jesus says something so unusual. He changes uh, Simon Peter's name. Let's have a look at John 1, 40 to 42. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing that Jesus did was find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. Now, as a Jew, Peter would have understood the meaning of this. When God changes a name, it is really significant. In the Old Testament, we read that Jesus, oh sorry, that God changed a number of names. Abraham, uh, Abram, he changed to Abraham. Sarai, he changed to Sarah. This signified that although the couple had been childless for many years, they were about to become parents, and actually parents to many. Abraham means the father of many nations. And then we look at Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. And this indicated that he was going to be the father to the nation of Israel. Now, let me talk to you about Kylie for a moment. Now, Kylie means returning boomerang. Such an Aussie name. Uh, and I honestly, 
Sometimes I kind of wish God would change my name to be something a little less ochre, but kidding, maybe, sort of. Oh, sorry, mum and dad, if you're watching this. But actually, let's come back because what we find is that Jesus, the Son of God, changes Peter's name, sorry, Simon's name to Peter. Peter means rock. And then a few years later, after Peter's denial and confession, Jesus said to him again, um, he said, I tell you, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church in Matthew 16, 18. So when we come to this passage in Peter, and Peter refers to stones, there is so much depth and personal connection to this imagery. There are two building projects that are implied in this passage. The first one is the spiritual house in which Jesus is the cornerstone and the project of those builders who reject Jesus. One is constructed by human builders. The other is constructed by God. Human builders, they examine Jesus and they reject him and so they build their own structure. Now we're a church that's known for our good uh, building projects. Right from the very beginning, we are a bunch of builders. Well, not me personally, but there actually are some incredibly gifted people uh, to be able to restore and build things. Let's go back because in 1960, we actually had the full restoration or the first opening of the Mornington Baptist Church building, uh, which was from the Tyab State School. The building had been completely renovated to be able to be our church. In 1978, we'd outgrown the buildings and so we began to actually finish the purpose-built building that stood at Moomba Street. And in 2000, we ventured onto a pretty humongous task, the renovation of the Southeast Water uh, property, to be the incredible property that it is today. And now our Rosebud campus is in the early stages of an incredible redevelopment. I just can't wait for that to happen. So amazing. We are a church that is known to be a good building church. We love a good building task, and we've done that right from the very beginning. However, a common phrase we hear around churches is that the church is not a building. Peter says here that we're actually wrong. He says the church is a building, but the fabric of the building is made up by people, and the foundation of the building is Jesus. Now, at the time that Peter is writing, the temple of Jerusalem is still standing, and Jerusalem, uh, it is this monumental building that took 84 years to build. The blocks of stone that make up its foundation are five metres long and one metre high. The whole structure is simply enormous. Just the door is nine metres high and 18, sorry, nine metres wide and 18 metres high. Now, that is a magnificent house for a magnificent God. But the Christians that Peter is writing to had, had no access to this temple. They were being harshly perse persecuted and driven away from Jerusalem. They're probably thinking that their worship would be second rate because they couldn't visit the presence of God. 
How could they truly worship God without the priests leading them, without being in the temple? I wonder if some of us might actually feel like this today. We've been driven away from our corporate worship, from our time together. Maybe we feel that our worship is a little bit second rate because we're watching it on YouTube, on our TV, our laptop or our phones. How can we truly worship God without being together? Is in, in Peter's response to this, he tells his readers something extraordinary. He says, you are the temple. You are living stones from which this temple is built. You are the priests who can worship within it. Peter says to the scattered Christians that they're not to yearn after the temple. They're not to build a replica wherever they are, but rather to be the temple themselves. The place where God lives in and through their lives. The place where God is worshipped. Let's have a look at verse 4 and 5 a little more closely. It says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, being built into the spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. As believers, we are living stones. And, and God is building something out of us together. I love the interdependence of these living stones. We are built together into a spiritual house. We are supported by some and we are supporting others. We find our place and our purpose as part of the spiritual house. Every stone matters and every stone relates to the other stones. Take away one stone and the whole structure is weakened. Now, having not grown up in the church or in a Christian home or in a, with a Christian faith, um, finding Jesus in my mid-teens was quite a profound moment. But it wasn't just around finding Jesus, although that was the most important piece. There's a part of actually finding a family that I didn't expect that is much bigger than my own. Finding a place to belong, finding a place uh, where I am encouraged and supported. None of, it's not perfect. None of us are. And the church isn't. But it's home. I love the local church. And God doesn't stop building the church, his spiritual house, because we can't meet together. We are living stones, supported, supporting and interlocked together. I love the fact that the church is not something we do, but it is who we are. Peter teaches us that if we are at home, we are the church. If we are at work, we are still the church. If we're out shopping, carefully, we are still the church. If we're on holiday, lucky you, but we are still the church. We are the church 24-7 because we are living stones. But why are we living stones? The only reason we are living stones is because Jesus is the cornerstone. In verse 8, it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. 
Here, Peter cites Isaiah 28, verse 16, a prophecy of the chosen stone. Peter confirms that Jesus is the one that Isaiah was pointing to, the cornerstone of the building of God that he is completing at this very moment. But what is a cornerstone? Joss and the kids' church team have given us such a great illustration of a cornerstone. So when they first build the temple, they have to first prepare the ground. The area gets cleared and made level and flat. They use big, straight stones. And the cornerstone is the first stone that's put into place. And it's the most important stone in the building. Everything else is built out from the cornerstone. The whole building takes its measurements from the cornerstone. If the cornerstone is wrong, then the whole building is wrong. Jesus is the perfectly laid foundation on which the church is built. Jesus is the one on whom we take all of our measurements. Jesus is the one who supports the whole structure. In this spiritual house, Jesus is the cornerstone. But the cornerstone is rejected by some. Let's take a further look in chapter 2. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. And then in verse 7, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Now, a few years ago, I was asked to apply for a senior role at a really large church. This was a number of years ago. And I got down to actually the final two spots, but then I didn't get it. And honestly, I was confused and upset, and I honestly felt quite rejected. I didn't understand what was happening. That sense of rejection actually hurts quite significantly. Now, I can look back and I can now see actually God knew exactly what he was doing and it was absolutely the best plan for that other person to have the role and for me to actually move on to something else. But at the time, I certainly felt that level of rejection. But my level of rejection pales into comparison the level of rejection that Jesus experienced. The living stone was rejected and seen as worthless by the builders but was chosen and precious to God. In all three synoptic gospels, Jesus prophetically identifies himself as the rejected stone in Matthew, in Mark and in Luke. And we read in Acts that Peter identifies Jesus as the rejected stone as well. Salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. There is no other hope. There is no other way. There is no other name other than the name of Jesus. But let's be honest for a moment. We live in anxious times. Some days are good. Some days are not so good. The constant change is exhausting and difficult. Many people are feeling disconnected, lonely, isolated. This passage reminds us that even though we can't get together like we used to, we are still a part 
of a spiritual house that God is building. Not just here on the peninsula, but actually all over the world. This week, I want to encourage you to be sensitive to what God might be doing in you and through you and around you. To see the opportunities to be living stones, to be a part of the spiritual house. It might look a little bit different than we might have done six months ago, <laughs> probably will. But was it, what does it mean to be sensitive to your neighbours? What does it mean to be sensitive and alert to what God might be doing? Maybe it's sending a, a text to a friend or a colleague or a family member. Maybe it's popping over the fence and saying hi to the neighbour, checking in how they are going. Maybe it's to reach out to a family or a work colleague. We are living stones, continuing to be built, but God is calling us to be his church, even when we can't meet in this physical one together. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you that you are the cornerstone, that we are living stones. We are a part of a spiritual house that is so much bigger than us. Lord, help us to be sensitive to what you're doing in us and through us this week, to live out of that place of being the people of God. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.